Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is my number. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email for the show, as always, opinion at 96fm.ie. We will, at some point this morning, touch on the report of the Mother and Baby Homes Commission. It is a big, big story and a massive story for us here locally at Cork's 96 I've been covering this for many, many, many years. But with respect to the people who were in the homes, the people who were born there, the people who had their children there, the survivors, we will not be overly harping on that until they've had a chance to see it. So we'll be talking about the report at some level during the morning. But until such time as people, the real important people, actually have it in their hands and have an opportunity to read it, then, unlike the rest of our friends in the media, we're not going to be speculating on how they might feel. We'll wait until we know how little they do, but that's that's that that's for for later. The head of the HSE, Paul Reed, has just tweeted. He tends to tweet quite frequently, does Mister Reed, and and he doesn't spare the horses. He said, "Nobody, this is the last while. Nobody wants more people sick with COVID nineteen. There are now seventeen hundred patients." in hospital, 143 in the ICU, and they'd swap with any of us. The big ask of everyone, he says this morning, is stay at home and help get our hospitals and nursing homes back to safer levels. Our healthcare teams are just asking this of us. And that's a really a rally to arms for the rest of us to do what we can uh, to, to try and combat the situation where we are now the worst in the world. Think about that. Just think about that. We got to a point last summer, July maybe, middle of July, start of August, that we had it practically licked in this country. And now we are at the worst rate of infection per population in the world. And it's getting worse. Now, they're saying, the models are saying it might get better. We might have reached a peak. We might have reached a plateau. I don't know. But we're still, at this moment, the worst in the world. And it's led to scary stories, like it's on the front of the Echo today, that intensive care in Bantry Hospital, they may soon have to start making those agonising decisions, the decisions that no doctor, no nurse wants to make. You know, who has the best chance of them benefiting from an ICU bed? It's, it's, they're, they're horrendous 
decisions. The Echo's quoting from an internal memo, which it has seen. And a well-known emergency doctor based in West Cork is now appealing to people to row in and do their bit. Uh, with 695 new cases reported in Cork yesterday. At CUH, here's a scary figure. Nearly one in five patients currently being treated at CUH, nearly one in five, has COVID. Now think about that. That's a huge hospital. The biggest, the flagship hospital for the south of Ireland. One in five patients currently has some level of COVID-19. That doctor I mentioned previously is Dr. Jason Vandeveld, Medical Director of the West Cork Rapid Response. Jason, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to talk to you again on the opinion line, but under these very dark circumstances, we are in serious trouble, doctor. Yeah, look, uh, the dog on the street is updated every second with how bad it is, um, and we've been subjecting ourselves to this 24-7, and unfortunately now it's been 365 days almost of these COVID updates. Um, and to the point, really, to be honest, of harmful obsession, um, you know, you, you, to put it bluntly, look, we're currently experiencing multiples of the worst-case scenario, and we're in that deep, deep hole. Um, like, you know, we, we knew this was coming. Um, you know, we, we knew this was coming. Did we and, know and, it come this bad? Um, absolutely. Look, and frankly, it's, it's, to be honest now, it's, it's actually time to stop talking. It's actually time to stop debating. It's time to stop arguing. Um, it's time to stop despairing. And it's actually time to start pulling together, PJ. You know, we can quote these figures and to have nauseam, and people just have had enough. Um, you know, we, we actually need to put our opinions on hold. And, uh, and look, I've, I've been deafening in my, in my silence on this for the whole year. I haven't actually... Believe it or not, I haven't actually been online with you for, for, for this entire year. I've, I've resisted it. Um, and, you know, I, I think we need to allow the multiple of PhD careers, theses to be forged long into the future, these careers to be forged out of researching about what, how, mm. why, how, when, why have these things played out the way they have? Why have we come from the, the, the best in the world now to you know, to, the worst. To, to one of the worst. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's not the and time And I guess this now. is all the analysis that will be done in the fullness of time, like, like you say. Absolutely. The numbers are stark. But, but let's, let's talk about, Jason, the people. Talk about the people that you're seeing. I, I heard another interview with you where, where you said the progress of this illness is scary. Yeah, look, the progression is scary. Um, you know, we've... As you were talking about Bantry there, I was only in Bantry, you know, on Friday night, um, transferring a very sick person to Cork. Um, it's scary. You're going from um, talking to somebody, they've got their full faculties about them, and the next thing you're doing, you, you are um, you, you're putting them off to sleep and ventilating them, um, you know, just to, 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 in the hope that they actually will stay alive, and, and many don't, you know. But... You know, I'm not here to talk about that 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 that, that blame game and that um, the regret and the despair that we all know. You know, the regret is no, so destroying. I, I, I want to talk with you about the illness, Jason, and, and about how bad it can get. Because I think, and again, I don't want to go. I, I respect that you don't want to go down blame games and looking at who's this and who's that. And I respect that. But but as a doctor in emergency medicine, and I know that you also 
have a quali- qualification in disaster medicine, which is an interesting one. Like, you're, you're trained for this kind of thing. Is, is this... Like, have you seen things, Jason Van de Velde, that have surprised and frightened you at the height of this pandemic? Shell-shocked. You know? Really? And that's why we don't want to talk about it. It's it's soul-destroying. You know what's really soul-destroying, though, PJ? What's really soul-destroying is the regret. Okay? And I've lost count of the people who are now COVID-positive whose last regretful breath to me before going on a ventilator has been that they regret. If if, if only I had, if only I didn't, if only I had listened to the public health advice. You know, it's bias, okay? It's an evolutionary trait. It's being human. It's both positive and negative. Bias. It's what's allow us to filter out what we perceive as an individual to be irrelevant. And unfortunately, it's our, it's our, it's our brain's way to, to grasp onto things that we firmly believe in. And we try and filter out all the negative because we don't want to hear it, okay? And we all wanted to have our family have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas break after the horrible year we've had. And mm-hmm. just believing that that tiny little transgression from the public health device was going to be inconsequential. We just firmly wanted to believe it. And we hear where we are today because of the multiples of that. We're just being human, okay? Is there a belief out there, has there been a belief out there that it can't happen to me? It couldn't happen to me. Look around me. I don't know anybody who's sick. This is the soul-destroying regret that I'm talking about today. This is what I'm talking about. There's not a single person there who was like... People just... We didn't feel it in Ireland. We were doing so well. We were just, we were the top of the world. It, it, it wouldn't happen to us. It, why, why on earth are we, are, we, are, we, are we shutting things down? This is so irrelevant. And you know something, and this is, you know, my disaster medicine hat firmly on it. I studied, got a master's degree in, in this, and we studied pandemics going back years. And, and, and history will tell, and history will tell from this pandemic. It is the same thing. You go back to flus, you go back to whatever pandemic there's been around in the centuries in the year, back to time in, in, in memorial, and it's the same thing. The first wave is the first wave, the second wave is disproportionately worse. Mm. You know, we knew we were coming to this stage um, and, you know, frankly, I, I, I think now is the time really to put all the stuff up. To, to, we really need to put our opinions on hold. We really, really do. We need to stop blaming. It's now the time to pull together. We now need to actually genuinely, no matter how much we think or hate or whatever, whoever's in power at the moment, it doesn't actually matter who's leading. But we need to get behind our leaders. We need to get behind the government. We need to row in behind our health services. We need to row in behind our communities, our own families, and ultimately look after ourselves mentally and physically. We need Mahel. We need to come together as a community like I know and I love, and this is why I choose to, to live and work and raise my family in Ireland. We're a wonderful people, and we need now to come together. And what is destructive is the way that we constantly debate, argue, talk, and, 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 and what if, what if. We're in that hole. What is done I, I, is done. I'm, I'm reading the, the various yep. reports in newspapers this morning, and, and indeed that tweet there from, from Paul Reed, and the statistic that I'm reading about CUH, which is where, of course, you're, you're mainly based, 
that one in five patients, approximately one in five patients at that enormous hospital is currently being treated for some level or some effect of COVID-19. Doctor, those of us who are still, thankfully, well and healthy, how can we as individuals help to A, reduce that number and B, stop it getting that bad again? You know already. And it's that unpalatable, uncomfortable, it's the inconvenient, it's the unpalatable, it's stop being human, stop having human contacts. Yeah. It's stay at home. It's stay yeah. away. Yeah. And I, I know I, I'm on a high horse in that, like, I, you know, I have a job, but I, I'm able to support my family. And I'm not supporting my family on PUP. I don't have to look after six people on PUP. I know that. So I, 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 can, I, I know that argument. It's unpalatable. It's horrific not to be able to work, to sell your wares, to go about your trade. But we have to put that on hold. And what people will ask as a question is, okay, doctor, I'll take that on board. I'll, I'll do as the public health doctors and the experts like yourself are telling me. But can you tell me at all for how long I might have to do this? Can anybody tell us that? Nobody can honestly say how long the piece of string is. And this is why I don't actually have that much negativity towards our senior decision makers, be it in health or government or WHO or wherever, because we're making this up as we go along. We don't know. There is research, there's bits and pieces. We have to string these things together. We don't know. There is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. We know vaccines work, and we know they work, and they eradicate polios. They eradicate you know, smallpox. Jeez, I'm, as I said, I was old enough to have one of the last people who was actually vaccinated against smallpox in Africa. You know, these are devastating diseases of the past, which thankfully are in the past. Um, and look, coronavirus. Do, do you believe, different. Jason, that we can consign? You mentioned smallpox, and God, all I've ever seen of smallpox is photographs, and that's enough. Can we consign COVID to the past, like we confine con? like we consign smallpox to the past? Apparently we can. You know, we, 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 we've been able to get ourselves out of these, these holes for generations. You know, science has been able to find solutions. And um, the one thing is, you know, you always hear, oh, we can never cure the common cold. Well, coronavirus is the common cold, you know, gone haywire. Um, but we are, we, we, found, we found a vaccine. We found a vaccine by pulling together, by scientific community, putting aside their research fights and, 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 and penny-pinching and, and, and looking for the next grant and, and doing one-upmanships upon each other. We've put aside different countries' opinions on research and how researchers work. We've pulled together. We've even put drug companies have pulled aside and started working together. And as a worldwide community of scientists have actually found a vaccine. Unbelievable. I, I cannot believe we've got this far. You know, and yet we have. And so there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope, yeah. folks. There, honestly, but we just need to put our opinions aside, stop grumbling, and let's start being a bit positive. You know, you're stuck where you are at home. Yeah. What can you do to make your life better when all this is finished? What can you productively do now? Yeah. Let's focus on the positive, PJ. 
Okay, and I, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad that you want us to do that, and we will do it as best we can. Can I ask you though, for one brief moment, to to if you like, Doctor Vandeveld, to address my listeners, my seventy-something thousand listeners, address them for us this morning. You're there on the front line. You're seeing, as you said, multiples of the worst case scenario. Address my listeners. Ask them what you want them to do. Please stay at home. Please listen to public health advice. Regardless of whether you agree with it or not. Simple as that. Simple as that. Doctor, thank you for your time and thank you for your work. God bless you, Peter. Thanks. That's Dr. Jason Vandeveld, 1850-715-996. Bearing in mind, this is a man who is trained not only in emergency medicine at the highest level, but in disaster medicine. Uh, pandemic medicine, major disaster medicine. And he is saying, do what we're being asked to do. Stay at home. Listen to the public health advice. Even if you don't agree with it, listen to it. I want to go to a man who, over the weekend, I saw some comment on social media about my next guest, who has been a frequent guest on the show since day one um, and, and has always called it straight and called it blunt. Um, and I think he'll do it again this morning. Professor Jerry Killeen. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Now, Jerry, I know you're at a bit of a distance from us this morning. You're, you're in, in Tanzania where you're, you're working with your, your, your real source, um, expertise, area of expertise, which is malaria, and I wish you well with that, and thank you for taking our call while you're involved in such important work. Jerry, how did we get from having it practically licked last summer to being this morning the worst in the world? Well, um, I guess we just, um, we invested in wishful thinking is, is the short answer. And, um, you know, I think we all understand now the mistakes we've made. I think, you know, everybody's going to have to live with that. And, and the only thing that matters now is what we do next. So, uh, you know, there's no point in looking back except to learn the things we should have learned several months ago. And so the question is, what do we do next? This was the surge that you warned about many, many months ago. The surge, the, you, you, you said to me many, many months ago, Jerry, that the worst was yet to come, but you hope it can be avoided. Now we're in the middle of it. Yeah, well, I, I honestly wish this was the worst. You know, th- things can get worse. And it's very important that we we make sure that doesn't happen. So, you know, we've just got to throw the kitchen sink at this. Uh, it's just time for an all of society response. It means every single one of us, uh, there's no room for exceptions. There's no room for, um, you know, cutting ourselves a little bit of slack because, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is still the third wave. What many of us are worried about is that there's a fourth wave brewing under that, and that's the new variant. And so if we don't hit it hard enough, what we'll see is the fourth wave breaking through, say, in a couple of weeks from now, uh, once we get the third wave kind of starting to bend the curve on that one. What we don't want to see is a fourth peak emerging after that. So we've really got to turn this around. We've got to go after it. And you know, any kind of illusion that we had that there was room for half measures, I just really hope that's gone. And that this time when we we really go after this virus, that our third lockdown will be 
decisive and it will be our last lockdown. Yeah. Before Christmas, and I know just speaking with Jason Vandeveld there, he's anxious to avoid the the discussion of blame, and I guess it doesn't help anybody, but, but we opened up before Christmas. We now realise we probably shouldn't have. The government pushed back against Neffet at the middle in the middle of October. We now know they absolutely shouldn't have. People are now saying we could have the schools we should we'll have the schools closed until midterm break. We won't see businesses starting to reopen until until Easter time. Do we have to stick with this now, Jerry, until we are down literally to single figures per day or less than fifty per day? Uh, uh, single figures. You know, at that point, our public health teams, our public health physicians, um, if the government doesn't keep frustrating to the point of striking, they can tackle this one and they can start snuffing out small numbers of outbreaks. So, uh, you know, once you get down to the threshold that Victoria established, you know, in advance was five cases a day. Uh, we need to be aiming for something similar. And then we have to totally resource and empower and, you know, and our public health doctors and their teams get behind them and, and just finish this one because, you know, it'll take an awful lot longer for us to get full population by vaccine coverage and that leaves plenty of time for further waves. So let's just, let's just not let that happen. I was thinking in terms of a dovetail that you would begin to dovetail this bringing the cases under control with a massive increase in the number of people getting vaccinated. Now, that may take many months, but could it be done successfully? Well, exactly. It's, it's you know, kind of um, uh, an aggressive suppression and elimination strategy is the way that you, you hold the fort until we can do that, you know, with, with basically vaccines, that there's enough vaccine coverage that we can start to get back to normal. But um, actually, where I'm standing right now is a really good example. We, you know, I've been through this before with malaria and bed nets. We, um, of course, we got the bed nets to the most vulnerable children and pregnant women first, but we only really saw the big benefits, the big bang, when everybody got bed nets and we killed off mosquito populations. You know, because the best protection you can get against uh, something is simply to make sure that it's not there. And, um, you know, any of this defeatist talk that you hear about uh, endemicity, etc., you know, anybody who's lived with an endemic, uh, life-threatening infectious disease will tell you it's not somewhere that you want to go. So, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's yeah, and with this new variant, you know, the, the issue is there's absolutely no room for a yo-yo strategy because when this one bounces back at us, you know, when we let it go and it rebounds, you know... Uh, best maths I can do on it is it would rebound at least four times faster. So, yeah. you know, it, there's no room for taking our foot off the gas. Speaking yesterday with Dr. Nabarro from the World Health Organization, a man who doesn't use superlatives very much, he said this is a ferocious resurgence. They were his words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, this is one of the reasons I was you know, strongly advocating against the living with the virus scenario where we kind of toot along towards endemicity because where that leaves you, it leaves you at the mercy of emerging new virus, you know, variants. Um, you know, that's what I'm doing here in Tanzania because we haven't been able to eliminate malaria from, from large parts of Africa. We're constantly dealing with new variants of mosquitoes, new variants of parasites that do lots of things we don't like. So, um, 
you know, it's really something you want to get out of town, particularly an emerging pathogen, which is evolving faster than anything else. And, and is, you know, it, it's, it's shuffling its genome, it's looking for new combinations, and you can never be quite sure it's going to throw at your next. Okay, okay. Jerry, I know you want people to take a look at a website, ISAG. What, what is that about and what can we learn from that website? Sure. It's, um, well, ISAG is uh, the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group for COVID-19 in the island of Ireland. We're a group of like-minded um, people from all walks of life. Uh, many of us are academics. Some of us are business people. Uh, and we've just been advocating for an aggressive suppression and elimination strategy right from the start, you know, for, for health reasons, for business reasons, for economic reasons, and for social reasons. You know, this pandemic is doing huge damage to our society and to families and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's not just me. There's a whole bunch of folks on there, uh, tons of expertise uh, to bring to bear. You know, we we all have uh, a very common line on this. And there's lots of really good uh, webinar material, including from our colleagues in Australia. You know, if you want to follow up on more details about where we need to go with this, that would be a good place to look. Okay. Jerry, thank you very much once again, and particularly joining us from, from Tanzania. There's been a bit, bit of delay on the line. Interestingly enough, there's a bit of a better line than we sometimes have for you from here in Cork, but that, that's just how <laughs> things work. Thank you as always, and, and uh, we'll talk again. Thank you, Peter. You take care. Cheers. That's Professor Jerry Killeen. He is the AXA Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology at, at UCC. But he's back in Tanzania at the moment doing what he does best, which is trying to suppress and deal with uh, malaria outbreaks. That's, that's Jerry's particular area of expertise and research is malaria. And he's back on the front line in Tanzania at the moment doing, as we say, what he does best. Just on, on the... On the Subject to same subject, you see all over the newspapers this morning that the guards now have from today the power to fine you. And I'm watching in particular a lot of videos that people have been sending to me and to others over the last few days of gobshites, and I use the word with reserve with no reserve, up and down the country, challenging Gardi reciting the constitution, standing at the side of the road, quoting the guard the regu- regulation refusing to give their all this owl nonsense and there's so many videos up there well from today the guards now have the power to just fine you if you're outside your 5k limit and you can't show them that it's an essential journey or if you refuse to cooperate with them when they're asking you and it used to be the case that they had to put a send a file to the dpp and get an opinion from the dpp and follow you with as of today there's a straightforward 100 euro fine, just like being caught with your mobile phone. It's a straightforward fine from today where they can just fine you if you're being an idiot and you're going outside your 5k without due reason or you're trying to outsmart them or trying to be stupid with them and you'll have 28 days to pay that 100 quid. 18, about time too, says I. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors Leading the way for Toyota hybrids The place to order your 211 Toyota See lehanmotors.ie The Cork's 96FM music panel Gives you the power to pick our playlist Click 96FM.ie now 96FM.ie now 
subject of 10-minute survey and you could win a €100 Euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quartz 96FM. Now, having been listening to Jerry Killeen and talking with Dr. Vandeveld for the first half hour of the show this morning, I suppose holidays should really be the last thing on our mind. But, but just pause that one for a second, that thought for a second, because it's January. And normally at this time in January, we'd be starting to, I know I would, be starting to look at travel websites, even airline websites, booking flights, deciding where we might go, putting down deposits, that kind of thing. And have that great little buzz, ah, we're all booked now. And write the date on the calendar and you know yourself. We all know what happened last year. This time last year, we had a booking made. It, it, it never happened. Like... Is this all going to happen again? Can you take a chance now on booking something? Is there even a flight to book? Because there's not, not, not a lot of them up there and lots of flights have been cancelled. Will we be allowed to go? Will the Department of Foreign Affairs have changed its stance on international travel? Will we get insurance if we are able to go? Should we start accepting maybe that another year at home is what we're facing? Owen Corey is editor of Air and Travel magazine. Owen, good morning. Good morning. I'll just correct you on one thing. There are lots of flights there, but everything else you say is true. Yeah. Like this time last year, we were doing what we always do every January, and then it all fell apart. And I suppose in the context of people who are sick and dying and overcrowded hospitals and, in, you know, intensive care units full to bursting, it seems a little trivial to be talking about it. But as a reality, it's, it's still a business. It's still a business that, pe- that, will, that people will want to avail of. When might we be able to avail of it again? Still, very important part of our lives. It's sort of our escape. And while you are absolutely right in the scale of the 2,400 people who've died of COVID in the last 12 months, uh, it doesn't even rate there. Uh, it is something that, like every year, we would all be looking at our brochures, as you say. I do think it would be uh, the way the aviation industry is looking at us. Uh, uh, decisions that would have been made in January are now being pushed back in their timing to March and April. Uh, We've no clarity of what's happening. Our figures are all going the wrong way and that's not just an Irish thing. Aviation is an international business. They're looking at calamity right across Europe. The sort of figure, the sort of surge we saw in Ireland that has depressed us all this morning. The likes of Serbia did that in October. They went from one of the lowest to one of the highest and now they've sort of come back to mid-table again but that's uh, happening all over Europe, countries bouncing in and out of lockdown, the places we love to go on holidays a lot of them have uh, the same sort of masking, uh, cafe closures and indeed curfews something we don't have here uh, they've been imposed so in terms of um, making the ordinary decisions like this is let's go to um, Gran Canaria in April uh, let's book the flight all of those decisions have been deferred that uh, has a big impact on how the aviation is planning their schedule for the year and that does it's it's it only the holidays are only the start of it once you start messing with aviation schedules or once the airlines start cancelling bits of it that you didn't expect stop working Anyone waiting for a parcel uh, that was sent before Christmas will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, realistically, um, 
I think we should probably be looking at staying at home this year again. 2021 is a write-off. Eh? You're not alone in saying that. I'm speaking to a hotelier this year who has four hotels. He's keeping one open at the moment. It's on 10% and he's not going to open the other three. The inbound industry the employs um, over 200,000 people. I think there are two, about 270,000 of which 200,000 jobs are at risk. Um, they're, they're bleeding from last year. There are liquidity issues for local businesses all over Cork, all over Ireland. Um, the banks are reading this in the newspaper and looking at the state of the hospitality industry. So things like uh, clearing a cheque can push an industry to the brink of its liquidity. The implications for uh, the uncertainty that we're dealing with um, is, is are, are huge for jobs and for economy. And even though, um, the, for instance, the hospitality industry wouldn't could, wouldn't be one of the big planks of the Irish economy the way that the pharmaceutical industry and the software industry, both so important in Cork are and agri-food are, it does employ a lot of people. What we're you know from where I'm looking and watching this and uh, getting information feeds from all over Europe, a big Euro control report has just landed on my inbox as I'm speaking here. What about aviation? What um, I suspect will happen is it is not government policy, it's not the airlines, it's not the big hospitality interests who will decide where we go and what we do in 2021. It's going to be the consumer when they get the confidence back. And nobody's sure who will give them that confidence. There was a lot of talk about testing might bring the confidence, a lot of talk now that vaccinations will bring the confidence. But it's only when ordinary people sit down and start uh, pouring over the uh, options again that we will see the sort of bookings that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And March, April is the earliest I see. I do think we need a lot of good news to break uh, on vaccinations front and on numbers front before March, April if we're going to have any summer in 2021. Uh, The options are out there, by the way. There's beautiful schedules. There's lots of very uh, optimistic schedules in the system. New new route, for instance, to Santorini from Aer Lingus. They're all planning, as airlines do, as if nothing had happened. But what they're all looking at is a much shorter booking uh, season uh, and a much shorter booking lead-in to the booking. And, of course, all those questions about whether your money is safe when you uh, put it on a put a deposit on a holiday they're all still there yeah because what definitely stung people last year owen was was the colossal amounts of money that people lost first of all when they booked flights that did travel but because they were observing the the instructions from the department of foreign affairs they let the flight go overhead that money's gone the chance of ever getting that back is close to zero but then there were also people who took vouchers and who rescheduled and they'll be worried now because the voucher has to be used by say the end of may or or the start of june or maybe even the end of april are they going to lose their money again if they can't travel by the end of april or start of may no they won't and some of them are coming up at the end of January. The travel agent scheme was a nine-month scheme. Everybody expected us to be out of the woods in January. They uh, have those about 17 million euro of those vouchers are coming up for at the end of January. They will get their money back. The real uh, problem here is that exactly as you said, if you um, if the airline cancels, it's their problem. If you decide you're not travelling because you 
you're afraid, which is a legitimate uh, reason not to travel. Or, or, or you're of following the instructions of the Department of Foreign Affairs. Let's be very blunt here. Fear is absolutely the Department of Foreign Government told us not to travel. The flight went ahead. We lost our money. And then Ryanair took a court case, which it was slight as Ryanair, um, you know, complaining as Ryanair always do. Queen Michal O'Leary, it should have been the poem in our leaving start instead of Queen Art O'Leary. The uh, reality of that court case is that it ruled that it was advice, not an instruction. So that meant that nobody can actually go back to the Department of Foreign Affairs looking for their money or the government looking for their money back. The money's gone. And the same thing is happening now. We have flights still departing and we're in a very severe uh, um, numbers crisis in terms of the, the, the new infections that uh, and where people are being told not to travel. If the flight goes ahead, you lose your money. Some people have put deferred, by the way, and it's all very well to defer your, your weekend in Lanzarote, but people have deferred weddings with uh, large numbers of people and decided last March that uh, April 2021 would be a safer date to do it. All of that money is in play and there's huge stress around the country uh, with the, you know people planning weddings and people who are even people just on ordinary holidays or a family of four. If you have a situation, for instance, where you have to have a PCR test, I'm thinking these can cost over with the most expensive PCR tests in Europe. This can cost 180 euro. If you're looking for that for a family of four, it certainly adds heavily to the cost of a holiday well, that you had to rule it out for a lot of people. Absolutely, it costs some people tens of That's your spending money. Absolutely, and you know it makes it viable. It's the difference between making it viable and not viable. Yeah. It doesn't look like a good year ahead at all, unfortunately, in 2021. If we didn't need good news, we will, when with confidence returns, see the father and mother seat sales. You see Ryanair's seats selling for about a fiver. Look forward to that when it happens. Owen, thank you very much. Editor of Air and Travel magazine, Owen Corrie, 1850-715-996. I, I'm just wondering if anybody, I mentioned the guy the fines <clears throat> before this and the fact that as of today, let alone travelling to Spain or travelling to Portugal, if you're travelling uh, more than five kilometres today and you can't show that that travel is essential, from this moment on, you can be fined there and then, on the spot, as if the guard had caught you on your mobile phone or as if, as if he'd caught you speeding. They can write a ticket for you there and then and you'll get a fine of 100 quid in the post because you can't show the guard you had due reason to travel outside your five kilometres. I'm going to push my flag up the flagpole on this and say about flipping time. About time and stay inside your 5k, stay at home and if you are going out, if you're trying to go outside your 5k without good reason, then you deserve to be fined. That's me rolling me flag. Up the flagpole. On Jason Van de Velve, Maureen says that's the best interview I've heard on radio since COVID-19 came into our world. K Kevin mentions the pure frustration in his voice. Yes, and I've spoken to Jason many times on the opinion line. And a solid, confident, articulate man. And to hear him sounding so frustrated, and a man of his knowledge and his experience sounding so bloody frustrated, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, 
Another call. I don't know what the mystery is about the spread of the virus. I can think of one pub with 15 cases, another pub 17 cases. Between that and the cheap drink fueling the parties, it was definitely socialisation other than the UK variant. Morning, PJ. The reason we're worst in the world is people don't take advice on board. Uh, may I add, the young adults also think they know better, from John McNamara. John, I'll stand up for the young adults, because from what I've seen and from what I've been hearing, it's the older adults are every bit as bad, if not worse. But I take your point. Tom says, too many flights, too many shops, pubs and restaurants open in a country that puts the economy before its people. And our rollout of the vaccine is more of the same, says Tom, who also wishes me a happy birthday. Thank you. Lots of people doing that this morning. I don't talk about birthdays anymore. Um... It's wrong that body shops and car repair are staying open when they should be closed for people's safety, considering there's been an outbreak in such outlets and since nobody has come to shut all their doors closed and protect our health and safety. Well, car maintenance and mechanics and garages would be seen kind of as an essential service. But I know in the first lockdown, uh, one business in that area of my, that I would know well, shall we say, uh, was open on call. It was a tyre business and open on call. If you needed a job done, you called and they opened for you. Um, and, and that's how they did it. And that's the way it should be done, I guess. 1850-715-996. I've said this many times before. I have never smoked. So I have no idea what it's like to try to quit. I've never even lit a cigarette in my mouth. It's just a thing. So I, I can't imagine how hard it is to give up. Um, there's a survey out at the moment on quit.ie. They said that a huge number of people who had quit years ago went back smoking during lockdown because of boredom and other such things. But an interesting story is a story of a man who gave up in 2013, lasted two years. Now he's quit again. DDA, good morning to you. Good morning, Olf. Good morning to you. Delighted to have you on the show. There's a specific reason why... You get, first of all, you gave up in 2013 for two years. You would think you would never want to touch one again. How did you fall off the wagon? Um, it's just, uh, you know, you go out with your friends and uh, the first time uh, it's, uh, everyone is uh, smoking around and after a few drinks you say, oh, come on, I have one or a few puff on one. But as soon as you put your finger on it, and you smoke your first puff on a, on a cigarette, then you are hooked again. Which, is that um, quick? Yes. Okay, yes. so that's what it happened to quick. you in, in 2015. You've quit again, though. You have a son aged two, and he played a role in it. Um, yes. Uh, basically, I had a, a, a very good help from uh, Miriam, who is uh, working uh, uh, at the hospital. And basically, she um, she calls you every week, every month to check now, every six months after, like the first uh, uh, four months of, uh, cre- of uh, stop uh, quitting the cigarettes. Hmm. And basically, every time you have uh, some issues, you can talk to someone and someone who knows what is uh, or who is a professional, you know, and can help you to say, okay, that's a craving. Don't worry, carry on. Um, uh, you're on a good path and yeah. that that does help yeah yeah it sounds very much like when a person is trying to stay off drink that they have a sponsor someone they can call who'll talk them out of a crisis your, your little boy so. though didn't like being around you I think did he did he yeah sometimes you know he, I wanted to hug him or ask him oh can you give you a, you know 
just a you, you could feel like he didn't want to 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 be around like and um so that hurts a little bit you know like, um, he was yeah. picking up the smell of it was it yes yeah and so also what? the fact that uh, he did uh, mimic me you know smoking did he yes and uh he, he put his two fingers uh on his mouth and uh like uh, uh, he was having a cigarette and when i saw that I said, look, Gigi, uh, you are showing the, the, the wrong... Yeah. Um, you you uh, knew then it was time to quit properly. Yes, uh, yes. I, I knew that uh, that wasn't good at all, like, for me, for my family. So, um, yes, it's... Uh, it, that that how, was so it. how long I, are you off now, quit. Didier? Uh, four months. Four, four months. months. Well, well, yeah. well done. And is it still difficult? Uh, no, no, no. Do you have a... A uh, few steps, like you have the three, uh, the three, it's the three first days, the three first week, and the three first months. Okay. And after, uh, the craving is uh, maybe uh, you have it once every two weeks or once every three weeks. I don't know, like something like this. Like you have a little bit of craving after, but it's okay. okay. Well, I, I, I wish you continued success with staying off it, but certainly seeing your little two-year-old putting his two fingers up to his lips, I think that was a, a, a real wake-up call for you. Didier, thank you, and well done on being off them again. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email, opinion at 96pen.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And, of course, we're on Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Uh, send us a message and mark it, if you can, for the attention of the Opinion Line. Remember, if you miss anything during the show or you hear someone talking about it you can get it on our podcast which goes up in the afternoon we take out the ads we take out the news and out the songs and all that kind of just give you the whole show and that goes up in the early afternoon uh, we'll get it first to you, uh, through twitter we'll tweet the link once it's uh, once it's uploaded and then it goes on the 96fm app or indeed wherever you want to get your podcasts and uh, that's up in the afternoon so particularly if you missed dr jason vandeveld or indeed, if you miss Jerry Killeen, you want to hear, hear them back, you'll be able to do that a little bit later on. 1850-715-996. Of course, the schools are closed after the debacle of last week when they said that A, they wouldn't reopen and then they might reopen three days a week and then they might reopen for kids with special needs. They didn't reopen. Norma Foley was forced into that U-turn last uh, Thursday or Friday. So now the schools are closed, and in particular the schools for children with special needs and on the autistic spectrum and all that, they are closed too. Joanne, good morning to you. Uh, Is she there? Okay. All right, we'll, we'll try to go to Joanne shortly. Just to remind you again, has anyone come across a... Uh, what do you may call it, a checkpoint yet this morning. Uh, I was mentioning that as of today, it's in the newspapers, predominantly it's in the examiner this morning. As of today, if you come across a checkpoint, you better be prepared to show them the letter you have to say you're going to work or the letter you have to exempt you from the limits or some kind of uh, proof that you are actually going to look after your sick granny because if you can't, uh, they will have the power, they have the power from today to give you an on-the-spot fine. 
up to now, it was the case that uh, if they weren't satisfied with your explanation, that they would take your details and they would take details of the situation. They might even arrest you or have to arrest you. And then a file would be sent to the DPP and the DPP would come back and say, well, they can be charged or they cannot be charged. That's gone. As of today, uh, as we head into another three or four weeks of this heavy duty lockdown, and, and mark my words, we're not coming out of this on the 31st of January, not by a long chalk. We're, we're not coming out of this level of lockdown, I would suggest, until at least, at least St. Valentine's Day. No, no, nowhere, nowhere near it. T- 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 take my word for it on it. But the guards now have the power to stop you and fine you there and then 100 quid if you don't have due reason uh, to be outside your 5k. I have said this in the first hour this morning about flipping time. About time because it it, uh, it it was a nonsense up to now. And when you see those videos that are going around, and there are dozens of them, of just absolute bananas standing in the street. I watched one. It was 10 minutes of my life I was never getting back. But I watched one the other day of this total exhibition of themselves that a few idiots made up in the up in Leinster, standing, standing in the street reciting verses of the Gather Code and the guard deserves a medal for the patience. Anyway, let us go. Oh, yes, Joanne is there now. Thanks very much. Joanne, Ben was supposed to be in school this week, was he? Good morning Bob, to you. Bob, my Bob, apologies, sir. I was uh, tending to his needs. Can't do two things at once. Sorry about that. You're all right. He comes before me yeah. any time of the yeah. week. Uh, he would have been back in school. He should have yeah. been back in school this yeah. week. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about him. Yeah. Um... Bob is 15 years old. He has autism and moderate learning disabilities. Um, he's an absolutely great kid. Like He's fantastic. He's as placid as anything. Um, he loves school. He lives for school. And he is counting down the days on the calendar. Um, the last lockdown was very hard on him. And we had uh, an emergence of um, frustration and self-harming behaviours, you know, banging and that kind of stuff, and a lot of slapping, you know yourself, the the yes. typical, um, I suppose, the, the indications of uh, somebody with autism who isn't coping. Yes. Um, we got through, he did, he did work his way through it, to be fair to him, he did, but it was a huge monumental task for him. Um, he was Utterly relieved when the schools went back, um, and you could see it in him. And his mood brightened entirely. He like he had taken to kind of following me around and being in my presence constantly, mm. um, which is draining on him actually, um, yeah. uh, uh, as it is draining on me as well. Um, he went back, and the uh, you know all of that lifted. And How is he with safety measures, Joanne? Like, can he can he oh, wear he, a mask? He can. He was yeah. brilliant at that. Brilliant. Good. Queuing was a problem, and I, I I was just like all my prayers were answered when he would wear a mask, like because that was a big. It was a big thing for me because we couldn't like he wouldn't really train to sort of sneezing or coughing or yeah. you know it, it would be it would have been a, a really 
uphill no. battle for him, P- particularly when with, we weren't in with school. People with autism struggle with masks. That's why I asked. People with autism struggle with masks. They do. Some people masks. do. Yeah. 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 I, I have a good yeah. friend in his, in his in his fifties, and he simply cannot wear a mask. There is there is a lot of people for for a lot of reasons struggle with them. I mean, I we I think we all struggled with them at the start. A little, yeah, I absolutely, used to we do. Absolutely. Feel like we're suffocating them. What, what is it? You should find the right mask for you, the one that suits. <laughs> what what is it in particular that he misses, Joanne? The whole range of things, really. The the routine, but the friends, the um, the support of it. Like he gets all his his daily living skills are taught in school, and he re, he does need those. Um, he does need the support of the school. When I'm trying to do them, um his relationship with me starts to kick in. So he kind of goes back into whatever sort of relations, uh, relationship quirks he has with me. Yeah. So yeah. say, for instance, now something like he likes to look at me all the time, no matter who he's talking to. Right. So if I'm trying to train him to something like he's not focusing on what we're doing, he's focusing yeah. on just looking at me. There's a home bob and an out bob. There is. There yeah. is. Yeah. It's very common. And very, very yeah, common. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, like, he has learned so much from school that I have to admit, I couldn't have taught him. Yeah. You know, and that's How, a big admission for me because, you, know, and, and you know, we have a great relationship. Sometimes... And I've talked to some parents, and as you know, my own lad is is much older than that now. Yes. But like, yeah. when when he gets yeah. frustrated about something, and he does, we say yeah. it's to keep us all safe, buddy. It's to yeah. keep us all from getting sick. Yeah. Can you yeah. have that conversation with Bob? Um, I think at t- you know over time we have you know we've kind of had to drip feed it, but he yeah. got like because he's he's so switched on to media and print and everything. He really got all of the negative, yeah. hard message from what he was getting in, you know, on this on media. On so we turned off the television. Yeah, we had to like um, for his for his mental health. Yeah, it, because I know the messages were trying, you know, they were attempting to be helpful. You know, obviously, clearly that was the message that was needed um but he wouldn't be able to filter the the good from the bad and he wouldn't be able to hearing the positive end edge to it no only hearing the bad news yeah 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 Yeah. and how are you dealing with with it right now well i suppose like we're kind of dealing on two levels like we're dealing with the whole issue of the pandemic that's going on at the moment and we're you know, going, uh, we have to take, I suppose, double, uh, um, make, uh, double our efforts to, to keep everyone safe in this house because the idea of going to the doctor or even getting sick, even with a sniffle, um, is, it has never been an option really for us anyway. Like, doctor's visits have always been um, a challenge. Mm-hmm. Hospital visits would be a huge challenge so, uh, sorry, no, I'm just going to move to another room because he's in there. Um, it, so all of those things, you know, we're mindful. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Those things anyway. Um, but under the present circumstances, we're redoubling our efforts. Like, And I, you, as you know yourself, PJ, an awful lot of people in our situation lead kind of socially isolated lives anyway. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but, but ours has been even more because the supports that he had and that we had from school and from uh, our social activities and athlete, you know athletics and park runs and things that we used to do have all been cut back as well. Yeah, um, every outlet has gone. You said he's every counting outlet the is days. How, how are you dealing with him? What are you saying to him about well, when he might be going as back? As you probably saw from the, the article that was in the Cork Examiner in the Irish Times, yeah. um, it's a sort of a, a form of therapeutic lying, I call it. Um, I, I learned it in dealing with my father, who at Alzheimer's was a, a very good consultant that he had, gave us that skill. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of kicking the truth down the road a bit. Yeah. It just, no you, you, there's no harm in it. Well, I'm protecting him from, yeah. like, the truth he can't handle at the moment. Like, not the stuff. You, can't, you can't give him, he, he wants a date, he wants a day. You can't give he it to him. He wants a date. Can. Yeah. Nobody can. And when, unfortunately, and I was kicking myself the last after the first lockdown. I didn't have the sense to really turn off the television because we were all needing the information. He heard the date of the lockdown being lifted and he counted down the days on the calendar. And when it didn't lift, he was devastated. Yeah. And we were then backpedaling and trying to keep him going. Yeah. Until the next one, and you know yourself with people with autism, like it's a yes or no situation. There's maybe is not understood. No, 
nuance it's, it's isn't too there. vague. No, yeah. no, a vague concept is not understood. So mm. he and he then see he we're his world. So he looks to us and he looks to us for assurance and for certainty. So when we can't give him that, like it affects our relationship with him. Mm. Yeah. You know? How's his temperament, Joanne, at the moment? Oh, he, he's very, like, he's, the, the therapeutic thing is actually working at the moment. Good. So we're, you know, we're in quite calm phase now, and the some of the coping skills that he did learn, um, with great difficulty, though, are standing to him. Mm. Now, mm. and I also say, like, that the, the daily living skills that he learned in the school have stood to him. The baking, the gardening, all of that stood to him. The, um, just the, the sort of, the regularity of the, the, the school um, stood to him in this, but there's a tipping, there, there's a tipping point somewhere. Yeah. And Last week when the department said that they would try to open the classes for mm. young lads like, like Bob, it, it must mm. have filled you with hope and then the teaching unions it, reared it up did. and there was well, and it was there was a u-turn on it how, how did yeah how well, did that? i can i can understand why the unions got worked up because like i don't believe that the department of education engages with any of the stakeholders involved in this sufficiently at all yeah yeah and um, and i think that, that you know like if this if this if it's yes, goodbye. I I talk to you in a minute, Bob. And um, if it's the, the school has to be safe. Yeah. For everyone. And um, before it's opened, I thought the number myself were probably too high. That we yeah. w- probably would need to to delay a bit, but there needs to be a plan for opening, and there needs oh. to be safety for everyone. Look, you know. I was just nobody, going to ask you that. Nobody is more appreciative of the, the work of the staff in, in schools um, more than the parents of children with special needs. Um, and we want our staff safe. And like, they did a fantastic job yeah. up to... Um, they always do a fantastic job. But they really rose to the challenge of this. And it was exhausting. Yeah. The lengths that had to be gone to. I know um, that you'll have to you'll, you'll have to go back to him shortly. So I, I yeah, don't. So yeah, I'm in and out there. Too long. But finally, <laughs> but, and, yeah, I mean, and, and it, it's, Joanne, it's, it's, what, what can be done? Engage with people. Yeah. yeah. How how can people engage with unions? Yeah, they need to talk. Who who yeah. needs to step up now to do something for you and Bob? The department, really. It, it yeah. it's their schools. No. You know, I mean, Bob. Bob has a right to an education. Oh, I mean, that that's their constitutional right, and within the confine, within the the confines of special education, it's much. What they're getting in school is much broader than uh, academics. Yeah. So online li- online learning is uh, only a very stopgap solution. You know, uh, f- for a lot of children. All right, I'll leave um, it there with you, Joanne, and let, yep. let you get back to him because I need to move on Listen, to someone who's very, very time sensitive. So, t- thank you for talking to us, and best yeah. of luck to you and to Bob and the rest of the family. Thanks, Joanne. 1850 715 996.
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favorite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts. And get all the latest Cork news. And if you're a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, former Lord Mayor, Councillor McFinn, has written a letter to the Taoiseach and indeed to the Education Minister, Norma Foley. Make I think, with your own specific eight-point plan, as someone involved in education, to bring students back into some kind of programme. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, yeah, look, and I think the previous speaker has summed this up. You know, she'd prefer her son to be in school, you know, for the education, for all the social skills that are you know, provided by the the teaching staff and by the SNAs and by the, the general school community. But she, she said there, and I think this is the point, that it's not safe for him to go back. Uh, and in the same token, it's not it's not safe for staff or school communities to go back. And I think, you know, this is just my, these were just my ideas uh, as to how uh, maybe we're looking at it in the wrong way. Um, and I, I submitted this plan the week before schools were due back. I just couldn't understand you know, why with escalating numbers of COVID cases, you know, in five, 6,000 numbers, how it could be safe to go back to school. Unless there was a vaccination programme rolled out, you know, unless it was there were very strict measures brought in. And, you know, I suppose I wrote to the minister, I wrote to the Taoiseach and said, look, we, we're looking at this wrong, in my opinion, I think we're looking at it too narrowly and we have to look at it in months and terms rather than in weeks. Is that because... Even, the, you know, it doesn't look as if we will get the schools back open again on February 1st. And, the, you know, the, the, the minister and the Taoiseach are determined that we will. Dr. Gabriel Scali said on this programme last Friday that he doesn't believe it's going to be possible at all. So we need to plan for not being able to go back. Absolutely. And I mean, even before Christmas, when this was beginning to kind of heighten the, the issues around COVID, I, was, I, I suggested that the midterm break was a realistic um, time frame to be looking at the six weeks to try and you know flatten the curve as they say and to uh, to make some inroads into getting the numbers down. So I mean the start of February even I think is is very optimistic now given the, you know when, when you saw the figures last night that were the highest um, you know country per million. So I think that we need to be looking at this and pushing it down the line a bit and giving ourselves maybe six eight weeks running to try and, to try and come up with a framework to get back to a school mm-hmm. situation. Because so you know, what kind like, of things are you suggesting? Um, well, I think the first thing is, you know, as, as I said, and I, this was written before uh, the decision, you know, was to go back to school last Monday. Uh, this, my suggestion was to go back after the midterm break, um, to, to, to in, the, in that time frame, then to start rolling out the um, vaccination program, you know, for frontline staff, which I would consider school school teachers, school communities are, if we want our schools back. And my, my suggestion was that you start with the um, final year students in secondary. And and their, and their teachers, and you start rolling back then towards early years over the course of a couple of months. So that when you get to September, uh, ideally, 
uh, that you'll be able to start a new school term, you know, in around September, October, even November. But you'll have you'll have caught up with yourself in the vaccination program, um, and that teachers will be able to confidently go into a classroom because at the moment that can't happen. Um, so that was the the, the, the the second thing is that you you start back maybe during or just after the midterm with your sixth year, your final year, your LCA students, and uh, they go back and maybe you push out the pre-exams. Um, you know, if if the if the, the state is still intent on having exams, you push out mm-hmm. the pre's maybe to Easter, and then you push the leaving cert maybe to July or August. Again, this is all mindful of the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and the figures yeah. and the numbers will dictate everything. See, you're kind of asking for certainty at a time when we have none. Yeah, well, and and it's even a, a question of addressing the question of certainty. I mean, I know that sounds a bit kind of, um, you know, wrangled, but it's it's about pushing that certainty out and saying, okay, we can come back in March, we can come back in April, because you know that you're giving yourself time to get over these, um, you know, problems. And for every idea that I put down, I put down eight points, but for every point, there's another problem. And, and, and the very last point that I made in my kind of eight-point plan is that this is not just the Department of Education responsibility, it's finance, it's public expenditure. Because if you close schools and you have working parents still who, who are able to go to work, that they have to be looked after, they have to be compensated, they have to be provided with funding to mind their, their children, if that's the case. So each each single um, plan that I, a point that I came up with, actually poses problems as well. So it needs a whole of government response to this. Have you had any response back? Um, I just got a, a response from the Department of Education during, during the week to say that the correspondence will be um, sent to the to the minister. I, I've yet to hear back from the Taoiseach's office. But as I said, I think part of the problem here is that while there is a rush to get schools back and to get back to normality, we're still in very abnormal times. Um, and, I th- you know, and I think when you look at, at, at the figures and the way this virus, you know, I would suggest that it loves crowds rather than a suggestion by uh, the health minister or by the by Neffet that it loves alcohol. I think it just loves crowds. And by bringing schools back, you're, you're talking to a huge community, a huge population around the country between students, staff, you know, parents collecting. It's just, you know, it just makes no sense to me that it, this was even on the cards while we're in the height of a pandemic. Okay, I'll leave it there because I know you need to get back to work. Mick, thanks very much. Councillor Mick Finn, uh, former Lord Mayor of Cork, and of course involved in in education. I think Mick is absolutely right. The the idea that we could just get to the 31st of January on the numbers that we have now and start opening schools again on the 1st of February, you can forget about it. You can absolutely forget about it. Now, do they need to put something in place for the likes of Bob and Joanne and others like it? They absolutely do. So can you do that safely in parallel with everybody else having to stay out until the midterm break? Those are the kind of things that make us suggesting. It'll be interesting to see if he gets any kind of response. 1850 Coming up, are the Germans hoarding vaccines? Yeah, it's a, gen- it's a genuine question. Are the Germans hoarding vaccines? Next, 1850 the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork Orchestral Society is set to launch an online program of concerts for the first six months of 2021. 13 Strings will be the first concert taking place on Saturday 
Saturday, January 23rd with five sets to follow over the subsequent months. Check out CorkOrchestralSociety.ie for further details on the performances. Access all areas. Caught at the Kino is a live streaming series of gigs, spoken word, comedy and DJ sets from Cork's Kino venue on Washington Street. It's going out on the Kino social media platforms during January and you can check out KinoCork.com for a full list of some wonderful Cork and Irish talent. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up in 2021 or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. So as we know now, the vaccines are being distributed across the EU according to the percentage of the population. Now, presently, that's Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer-BioNTech being distributed and then the Moderna will come because it has now been passed, I believe, by the European Medicines Agency and next then will be the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine and that will be distributed accordingly and then all the other ones that come in as they get licensed by the European Medicines Agency. Each member state in the EU will then be allocated a certain number of doses based on its population. We'll be getting about 1.1% of everything because of our size of population. We've bet 5 million out of a population of, of half a billion people. So around 1.1% is, is what we will get of pretty much everything. That's, that's how it's distributed. But in Germany, one of their major newspapers, Der Spiegel, has been reporting that Germany is in line to secure a lot more than they might actually have been granted. Reading yesterday in The Sun, actually, and it was quoting uh, Der Spiegel uh, reporting this. So in ter- the case of, say, Moderna, when that jab goes to Germany, th- they should be getting about 30 million uh, doses based on their population. It looks like they'll be getting close to about 50 million one of the people blowing the whistle on this and wanting to know more about it is Fianna Fáil MEP for Ireland South, uh, Billy Kelleher. Billy, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. The distribution, and I know that this line could be difficult, we'll bear with it. The, the distribution of the vaccine according to population seems pretty fair, but not if Germany can get in and get more ahead of us. Yes, look, the background to this was that the European Commission last year decided after consulting with all member states of the European Union that they would go about a bulk procurement and purchasing programme and that they didn't disperse the vaccines as they were being approved pro rata by population and also a little tweak in terms of some populations and countries maybe older than others. So there was a little bit of flexibility around that. But overall, it was meant to be fair, impartial and that every country will get it based on their population demographics. Uh, What has transpired in terms of that report in Der Spiegel is that Germany has secured additional doses from Mm. Pfizer-BioNTech and maybe other companies as well. Quick question, Billy. Can an EU member state reach out and buy its own supply from the manufacturer rather than waiting for the EU allocation? Yes, they could. Uh, and they could equally also approve if they wanted to go down the route of individually approving in the in terms of an emergency. If an emergency was in place, they could. But I mean, if the Commission had consulted all governments and if they all agreed to go into this collective purchasing programme and then we find that there were side deals done, the question that I have to ask is, is that side deal taking priority over the European Union's allocation from Pfizer's and from other companies? Or is it uh, after 
the European Union gets its allocation. In so are you words, worried that Germany could, that we could lose out because Germany wants more? Well, I mean, even the Irish government has said quite clearly, uh, and uh, Minister McGrath said yesterday, that the only constraint in rolling out vaccines in Ireland would be the supply of the vaccine itself. So if any uh, other companies do deals in advance of our allocation, well, then that could impact on a rollout of vaccines in Ireland and other countries as well across the European Union. So I did write some time ago to the committee uh, in the parliament that's responsible for this and the commissioner is actually uh, there today um, outlining the situation and I've also invited in the European Medicines Agency which is the approval authority uh, for vaccines. So we may get more information today, tomorrow and over the next few days and the good news I suppose for people listening is that the Oxford um, AstraZeneca vaccine has made a formal submission to European Medicines Agency for approval. Oh, now. has that come in at last? Because last week we didn't know whether it had landed or not. It has landed. It has landed. No, I mean, look, there would have been an awful lot of discussions between the European Medicines Agency and Oxford uh, University and AstraZeneca, the company that would be making it, uh, over the last number of months. So we were always expecting this would happen. My criticism was that it was slow and the European mm. Medicines Agency was probably slow in approval, bearing in mind they would have had access to all these phase three trial uh, data since last November. Uh, they would have been able to assess lots of that. So, uh, you know, I, I was trying to just keep the pressure on them. So, look, we're glad that they've responded, not just to me, to other people across Europe. Mm. Now that, that the application is with them, uh, how long before they're likely to approve it? Well, I mean, during Christmas and early in the new year, they were saying that to be February or thereabouts. But look, I would be hopeful that they will respond more enthusiastically and with a, uh, with the urgency and that, you know, we may see it approved towards the end of the month. Um, mm. and, and that is very good news because that really is the game changer, PJ. That's the one that can be dispersed uh, at community Kept level. in a regular fridge in a doctor's surgery. Yeah, that, that, yes. that's, that is yes. the game. Is it the, the thing... stable vaccine. Is it the thing, Billy, in terms of the uh, agency, the European agency, that it can say today, OK, AstraZeneca, you're good to go, stamp. Are there then literally truckloads of this stuff ready to come to us, ready to go to France, ready to go to, to Germany? Is, is that how fast it can happen? Like, Well, the, the Oxford AstraZeneca is, a, as I said, a stable vaccine. It can be transported in just ordinary refrigeration. It can be stored in ordinary refrigeration and it has a long shelf life. So it, I mean. is the yeah. one, it is the one that will ramp up our capacity to vaccinate. So, hmm. yes, but like we will still be waiting. Are you, for are you thinking we might have this in a couple of weeks, Billy? Well, I would be hopeful that once the formal approval is, is made, well, then it should be uh, dispersed on a pro rata basis across the European Union. So you would be hoping that very quickly we would have doses of, of this particular vaccine as well. So the Pfizer-BioNTech one um, is, is being used uh, and the European Union has purchased an additional 300 uh, million. So they should start coming on stream over the next number of months. Uh, Moderna one is approved, but that's will not be huge in capacity terms numbers wise because yeah. that's an American one it's AstraZeneca it's Oxford is a game changer and we need to get yes. that one out and, and rolling yes. up but and just getting back one. to where we started the thing with with Germany hoovering up other allocation like is there a danger we lose out because like they could go crazy on AstraZeneca as well is there a danger we lose out well I mean if they have made side deals with companies that take priority over the deal that those companies enter into with the European Union, well then very clearly that could put 
pressure on the European Union's ability to supply. So how can we stop that, or can we? Well, I mean, the commissioner uh, responsible, um, Stella Kirikides, she has um, written to all ministers across the European Union asking whether or not they have entered into side deals, are they fully compliant with um, the spirit of the European Union's uh, vaccine rollout. And so we have to wait to see if that's the case. But look, the spirit of it would suggest that countries can't and shouldn't use their political might, their uh, financial muscle uh, to jump queues when they had previously agreed that they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Can the EU use its influence, for example, to allow manufacture here? I mean, Pfizer have many outlets here. There are, there's a huge pharmaceutical industry in Ireland, as you well know, Billy. Is there, is there any way that we can start making the stuff here for ourselves and others, maybe? Well, look, I mean, te- technically and logistically, and I mean, like, it, it is quite a, a complex pro- process, uh, particularly the Pfizer's uh, and the Moderna product, because they are manufactured slightly differently to the Oxford uh, uh, um, vaccine, which is just a genetic modification of the actual virus itself. So, I mean, it's not straightforward that way. But look, if everybody uh, plays ball in terms of companies supplying what they said they will supply, countries just taking their fair allocation, and if the approval of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine comes on stream quickly, well then, you know, I would be confident that the rollout of vaccines to the vulnerable groupings first and then to the broader population over the next number of months uh, would happen. And, um, you know, that's something I think that gives everybody hope. But it does mean that countries cannot and must not be allowed to use their political clout or their financial muscle to jump the queue and take more than what is considered fair and necessary. OK, leave it there for today. Thank you very much, Billy Kelleher, Fianna Fáil MEP. Cheers, you, you too. Uh, Fianna Fáil MEP for Ireland South, 1850-715-996. Lots of stuff coming in on our earlier uh, interviews and guests. And again, to remind you that the podcast of everything is up in mid-afternoon, so you can catch up on anything you might have missed. Just on schools uh, and whether or not schools will be going back. Jerry says the midterm break won't be a realistic time to go back to school unless the vast majority of the population is vaccinated. The schools can't open. It just wouldn't be safe. We're now, for instance, looking into the face of a new strain in Ireland from Africa that's even more infectious than the English strain. That's 50% more infectious than the original virus. We love a long lockdown, PJ. This virus affects not only those with underlying conditions, but us all. It's a joke to suggest schools will open in February. Government have to stop playing yo-yo. The Minister of Education, Norma Foley, should resign. It's apparent she's not up to doing the job. Homeschooling and online homeschooling should have been a priority for her and government from the outset, but clearly it wasn't, nor were the proper resources put into schools on retail, and this is interesting, I listen to the show every day, working from home since last March. The info on COVID, very informative, thank you for it. What really concerns me is the amount of friends I have who are still out at work every day unnecessarily. They're not essential staff, yet they're being forced out on the road every day in and out of shops. Yes, retail is classed as essential, but these are people who categorically don't fit into that. It shocks me no end and causes me extreme concern. Can the government not outline who specifically is essential in retail? Donald O'Leary says one person in 75 nationwide is now 
infected with COVID-19. I don't think people don't understand it. Some people have only taken to wearing their masks after Christmas. The guards are only starting to fine now. That should have been done months ago, but there wasn't the political guts to do it. I'd like to request also that your coverage give us every bit of information on vaccines. Donald, we are endeavouring to do that. The more we learn, the more we will share with you. And I do believe we are going to start getting numbers soon from NEFIT uh, of the number of vaccines allocated uh, in, in, and, and given out in the system, which, which will reassure us that it's actually happening. Plenty more, plenty more. Very, very busy this morning. From a frontline worker on the way home from work comes this next one. I'm on my way home. I see five builders, no masks, all standing around in a group. At checkpoint, 200 metres away, two guards. I was just waved through. Supermarket, 50 metres away. The deli packed with people buying breakfast rolls. Car park full of builders' vans, 100 metres away. A playground with kids playing and parents chatting with no masks and no distancing. This is all within a quarter of a mile. Irish lockdown. How are you? Actually, people asking this morning, why is it that the playgrounds are still open? We have to echo that one. And I'm sorry, I don't care if the children... Well, I do care if the children are bored, but that's, that's just how it is. The playgrounds should be closed. They should. They absolutely... What is the point of, of, of allowing 20 or 30 children to crawl up slides and down ropes and across swings in the middle of a, of a lockdown? We, we closed them down the first time. Should we be not closing them down now? After being a long time... Hold out like Ireland. Two UK circumstances have now adopted a zero tolerance. No mask, no entry, unless you can show medical proof. This is the case in many countries all along. It's very unfair. The current system, because there are people with vulnerabilities and there are people with anxiety and terrified. No one talks about us. It's all these people who suddenly have those difficulties and they can't all have a genuine problem. I'd also be in favour of curfew. Those supermarkets actually are Morrison's and Sainsbury's. I don't know much about Morrison's, but I do like Sainsbury's. Uh, just as a supermarket, any time in the UK, I love to go to Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's are putting up uh, no mask, no entry. Unless, of course, you've got a doctor's note saying why. And Morrison's have hired security guards on their doors so that if you, it's no mask, no entry. And I do appreciate there are people who cannot wear a mask. I, I have a friend who just cannot wear a mask, physically cannot, uh, due to... Um, sensory issues caused by, by, by autism uh, can't they're exempt but for the most of us you'd be amazed all the exemptions that have arisen out of nothing Tom says the Germans fought two world wars to gain power in Europe and a failing European Commission plays into the arms of a very rich Germany they have too much power in a cooperative of countries and that's from Tom. 1850-715-996. We were talking yesterday about, just briefly, I touched upon it. It was in the main news about the changes in the rules now as regards purchase of alcohol. Like, as of yesterday, no special offers are allowed, like six bottles of wine for 50 quid. Loyalty card points in the big supermarkets can't be used for anything to do with alcohol sales. For example, if you have a 50... If you have a voucher that says you get a tenner off 50 euros shopping, you can't use booze to bring the shopping over the 50 quid. And you also can't cash in your loyalty vouchers. You know, you get the money that are the vouchers sent out a couple of times a year. You can't use those to buy booze. That's pretty much the, 
the limit of, of those new regulations and minimum pricing is supposedly coming when uh, we can do it in association with the North. And of course, I'd say Brexit could well put put paid to that happening. But Michael, you have a few ideas yourself. Good morning. Good morning, Patrick, Patrick Joseph. I'm going to start you. Um, <laughs> Tell me, Thanks, Ian. Okay. I have a few things here, right? And I don't have a sheet of paper in front of me. This comes from the heart. Okay. Right? I'm an ex-publican, okay? And I agree 100% with the offers that the offers are limited now in the supermarkets. And as we'll say, there's no one for everybody in the office any, or in the audience anymore, okay? Mm-hmm. But what I want the wet pubs to do from today on, you might think I'm mad here or no. Drive what on. I want the wet pubs to do from today on is to open their doors and um, trade in normal hours because they have been scapegoated by the government. They were the first to go out. They were the last to come back. Right? With good scientific reason, Michael. Hold on a second. I didn't get to my other point yet, uh, Patrick Joseph. Right? Okay. Go I on. was. I had a great traditional pub in my hometown. Right? It was called a small pub with a big axe. We used to have the likes of Don Baker, um, Sonny Knowles, Sean Dunphy, Johnny Carroll with his golden trumpet, Mr. Pussy, and extras, other, other artists, right, from the past. The yeah. place used to be jointed, absolutely jointed, okay? Right, what I'm saying to you is that the pubs are being treated very, very unfairly. You have said nothing about the off licenses being left open. We have. Okay? And where's the majority of the infection coming from? Everybody knows that COVID loves a big crowd. What happened yeah. over Christmas? What happened before Christmas? And what happened after Christmas? And the other thing I want to say to you is that six or seven weeks ago, Medit advised the government to take stricter restrictions, right? And what did they do? They didn't go by their advice, and look where we are now. Okay? So so why would you saying to all the pubs to open up today, how would that make anything any better? I'll tell you why. Okay? There's an off-license in my town. I'm not going to mention its name, but you know the governor very well, and so does your mate, Neil Prendeville. Right? My friend and my good friend has a son working there part-time. And, you know, he came home and told him since this coronavirus, he's up over 52%. And what's he doing now? He's selling groceries. More greed. The poor publican is left on the wayside. That's kind of a matter for the government to start out, Michael, isn't it, really? Do you know? Listen, I'll tell you something, right? The government are suffering from a multitude of disarranged ideas. In other words, Patrick Joseph, they haven't got a clue. There's All one fellow right. on the Green Party. He goes to work on his boy. He should be the priest. All right, All right. Michael, I'm going to leave it for no reason other than time. If anyone wants to respond to what you're saying, they're quite free to do so. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
I'm sure Michael got off the line before 11 o'clock thinking he'd put me right and well and truly back into me box. Um, he's wrong on so many levels, but sure, that's, that's, that's okay too. That's okay too. Uh, we've discussed the off-licenses thing at length and in detail with people who actually get it. His idea that all of the wet pubs should just open here and now, today, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Is it not? Absolutely crazy. Apart from that, they'd probably lose their licenses if they did it anyway. Uh, they'd be just shut down again by the guards, and, and rightly so. And you know what? We all feel for publicans. They've had a terrible time. And we've all missed the pub. We've all missed the, the sheer luxury of getting in and popping your ass on a high stool and calling a pint and not having to have a dinner with it and all that kind of carry. And we've missed that terribly. But now is not the time. We'll, we'll have to wait again. We will have to wait. 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 83 396 the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Look, if you think Michael is right and you'd like to tease it out, you know where we are. Also, if you've missed anything in the past hour and uh, you want to catch up with it later on, do remember that our podcast goes up mid-afternoon. We tweet the link first and then it goes on the 96FM app and then goes to all of the various platforms. Uh, that's the opinion line. Uh, daily podcast goes up in mid-afternoon. The M20. God, how long are we listening to this? The proposed Cork to Limerick motorway. Um, it's 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 been the subject of controversy and will it or won't it for, for, for ages. There is already now one row has broken out about the route or the proposed route. We discussed it uh, before Christmas. Um, Thomas Gould, Councillor, or um, Deputy Thomas Gould, hosted an online consultation about the route in, in the last while. Thomas, good morning to you. You've, you good you, morning, you, PJ. You have another meeting tonight, I think. Yes, we held one meeting last night, PJ, which was kind of aimed at the Navy route proposed M20. And what's tonight, the Navy route, first of all? Well, you see, you have two proposed routes in Cork. You've got the Green route and you've got the Navy route. No, if if people are affected, if they go online, they can see the routes, and there's actually an interactive function there to see. Um, the green route, let's say, would be the section by uh, Blarney, where you'd come in there by the um, by the Blarney Industrial Park, right. and the navy route it would go through areas such as Whitechurch. No, both routes actually go through Ratduff. It it's. There's actually quite a lot in the PJ the effect it's going to have on people right across uh, from Mallow all the way in. And it's part of the Cocknall Central constituency. So I was inundated with calls because one of the big things that happened is a lot of people never knew the, about these routes. And uh, they never got letters and they only found out by listening to your show and word of mouth. So... I, I organise these meetings so that the project team could come on and that people can log on, they can hear the presentation and they can ask questions. Because Friday, this Friday, the 15th of January, is the closing date for submissions for this okay. section. Right. So it's really an information that people, because a lot of people, like I sp- I've held meetings with groups, like a lot of people are worried about losing their homes when they've been locked down. Uh, they've lived there for years and generations, and 
it, it's really upsetting for people. And it's, a couple of people said to me, it's, it's, it has spoiled up Christmas and uh, not knowing what's what's happening. No, yeah. the deadline is Friday. There'll be an answer by late summer on which route will be. And then that will go back out to public consultation again. But the reason I, I'm speaking to you this morning, PJ, is we had an issue with our IT last night and only 100 people could log on and there was mm. many more people wanted to get on. So what we're saying to people now is that anyone who couldn't get on to last night's um, meeting, if they contact me today, we'll send them out the link for tonight's Green Roof meeting, but okay. we'll take questions on any area. You know, it's, okay. this is really about just getting people the information. Where, where can people get the details of those meetings? Where, where can they go to? If they, if they contact, if they send me an email, Thomas dot gould at oir dot ie okay. or if they go out to my facebook page sorry no <laughs> if they go out to my facebook page or if they contact my office on okay. 421-2233 okay okay and you, you'll 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 facilitate them with being able to ask questions on the on the both both routes thomas i'm going to leave it there thank um, you Peter. thank you and thank you. 1850-715-996, the COVID interfering with those meetings. So no matter what route you're interested in, uh, you can log on to it. Just send him an email, thomas.gould at oir.ie or go on to his Facebook page. 1850-715-996. I mentioned at the very top of the programme, and look, it's in the it's in the radio news. You heard it there at 11 o'clock. It's all over the newspapers today ever since the Sunday Independent broke details of a leak from the uh, report of the Mother and Baby Homes Commission. That that report is due to be handed or has been handed to Cabinet, will be before Cabinet today and there is a webinar happening as well where the various survivor groups and support groups will get a briefing as to what is in that report and then parts of that of that report will then be circulated to those people and to those groups in advance of it coming fully into the public arena and only rightly so and that's kind of one of the reasons we've been staying back a little bit from it until it is at least out there and in the hands of those who matter most. Susan Lowen is with the Adoption Rights Alliance. Susan, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? That's the stance we've chosen to take. It's the stance uh, which others had chosen to take. But these are... This is a nervous day. We, we, you have an idea what's in there, but really, it's, it's a very nervous day and a day that's been a long time coming. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I've been involved in, in, uh, in advocating for uh, a full, comprehensive... No, no holds barred investigation of illegal adoption practices in Ireland since 2001 when a director of St. Patrick's Guild, uh, and now it's now widely known that it's, it's a very disgraced agency, when she called me a destroyer of lives for wanting to know who my natural father was. So in 2000, we had to wait until 2014 for the Commission of Investigation to be announced. And it was really a perfect storm that year because not only was the film Philomena released, which mm. brought to the world's attention the awful human rights abuses in Irish mother and baby homes, but then we had Catherine Corliss's research on the, the disposed of bodies in the true mother and baby home getting its rightful international attention. So it was, it was, uh, 
an un, it was an unstoppable force. The government had no choice but to announce this commission. However, it's deeply flawed in its terms of reference because it doesn't include any of us who were not born in mother and baby homes. And it doesn't include our mother's situations, uh, nor what happened to us afterwards, even though we suffered exactly the same fate as, yeah. as anybody born in a mother and baby home. So like, for example, why, I, was, why was your story not included, Susan, would you say? Because, well, I was actually, I think I was born in a vehicle. I think I was born in an ambulance and I was brought straight to Temple Street. But for many of the, the, the non-marital children born in Dublin, because... You know, if you think back to the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the road, Rathmines, wherever, uh, Ranala, um, and they they were often living alone in their own apartments, well, flats, of course, as they were then, bedsits. So they didn't have to explain their pregnancy to a disapproving family. And they often gave birth in state maternity hospitals. And that's been well covered by numerous outlets, how those those poor women were treated. Mm. So in Dublin, that would be the Coombe, the Rotunda, Hollis Street. In Cork, it's the Arendon Hospital. In Galway, I think it's now called a university hospital, Galway, although maybe it was the Bon Secours, I'm, I'm not terribly sure. But uh, also in the 1970s, more women were giving birth in in maternity hospitals as opposed to private nursing homes. But mm-hmm. private nursing homes had also been used to disguise uh, the practice of forced adoptions. We know about St. Rita's on the Sandyford Road in Dublin, which was uh, frequented by every well-known uh, obstetrician and gynaecologist, the names of whom would trip off your tongue even today. Mm-hmm. And the St. Rita's home on Sandyford Road was, uh, along with St. Patrick's Guild, was embroiled in illegal adoptions. So on top mm-hmm. of the forced adoptions, we also have degrees of further illegality taking place. Can I ask finally, Susan, and we are coming back to this tomorrow, and by the, the people I will be speaking to tomorrow will have had an opportunity to at least read the relevant sections of... Yeah. The report and I wanted to wait really to talk to them when they've had a chance to look at it and try to at least yes. begin to digest it. The leak yes. at the weekend, do we mm-hmm. need to find out how that happened? We certainly do but um, I have to say you know having spent 20 years dealing with uh, various branches of government I have little hope that there will be any proper investigation and and I echo other other commentary or other commentators views that nothing will be discovered uh, it's absolutely it's reprehensible that a the sunday independent thought it was worth the cheap headline to get this out ahead of actually survivors having any sight of the report and it is reprehensible on the part of government who had promised uh, that survivors welfare mental health Sanity and wishes would be at the forefront of all of the deliberations surrounding the release of this report. So they have failed yet again. And Roderick O'Gorman will go down in history as the Minister of, of Apologies, I think. He's had no contact with the Collaborative Forum, of which I'm also a member. It's a dedicated group of survivors and their representatives uh, offering, <laughs> offering advice, uh, ignored advice, to his department 
And to date, the only communication we've had from Roderick O'Gorman is two apologies. The Opinion Line, Cork's 96FM. There's a great job up for grabs. Now, it's a lonely old job because there aren't too many people there. It's a job that you want to be a certain type of person for. Terry was saying this morning he'd quite like a job like this. It is to be a caretaker on the great Blaskets. Now, there was a huge, huge response to this last year. Nearly 40,000 applications came in for two summer caretaker jobs on the Great Blasket Island. Of course, it was the home to Peg Sayers, that woman who ruined our lives. Uh, Billy O'Connor and his partner Alice Hayes have three cottages and a coffee shop there, and they're the ones posting the vacancy. Alice, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good. Lovely to talk to you. Tell me about this job, what it is, and who it might suit. Yeah, so we're we're at that time of year again where we are looking for two new caretakers. um, And their their role will be managing three island accommodations. So we do self-catering cottages and a coffee shop. Um, So obviously the person has to be... Well, they have to be very hard-working, being out on an island with no um, convenience shops nearby, um, good people skills, friendly, um, like their own company, adaptable. Um, and yeah, how I'm quite relaxed. Remind us again, place. Alice, how far off the coast is the, the Great Blasket and, and how remote is it? Like, I mean, is there electricity there? Is there running water? What? No. So it, it's, a, it's about four kilometres off um, the mainland, um, Dunquin and... Um, there's no, um, there's no running hot water. There is running water, but it's just not hot, and there's no electricity. Um, so it's quite basic uh, conditions. So how does the coffee shop run? Is it a generator? We have gas hobs that we boil kettles on, and from that then we serve up teas and coffees, and then it's basic refreshments um, like your cans of coke and um, yeah. chocolate bars and things like that. So it is, it's a basic coffee shop, but. You get your tea and coffee after a big long walk, anyway. So right, and, and, I, and I take it no internet. The, you actually have good coverage out there, would you believe? Yeah, on your phone, your cellular data is good, so you can actually hook it up to a device and maybe get an episode on Netflix or something in the evening after your day's work. So yeah, right. it's not all okay. doom and gloom. <laughs> so, so who are you looking for? What what profile of person suits you? Yeah, so we're looking for a couple. Ideally, uh, we find that two is a good number they work well together and it's quite a lot to do in a day so um too much for one person anyways um obviously they have to get on very well and be comfortable with each other um and just have a good um good initiative able to adapt to the conditions out there obviously like i said you're on an island so we don't have the conveniences everything's brought out by billy on the boat um Mm. and yeah just like that that type of outdoor adventurous life i mean the island's full of history and nature and heritage and it's fantastic in all its own ways so um, and how long does the job run for it's from the first of april to the first of october um nice. obviously depending on covid and regulations we're that's what we're hoping for anyways that's our general season yeah last year you had a huge number of applications do you expect obviously with covid this you know people can't travel where did the interest come from last year was it from ireland or was it from overseas we had it from everywhere it went viral. We had people from every country in the world applying. Um, so it was it was huge. And I don't think we'll get that response again this year, no. Um, 
So we just whittled it down. We sifted through a lot of applications and and came to Annie and Owen, who were um, our two our two caretakers last year, who got the role. Um, so yeah, they were Irish, but I mean, we we don't we're not closed in on any type of nationality, yeah. or we're very open about it. Or yeah, it's just COVID. Obviously, it's a bit more difficult so, so to travel. Just describe, I mean, describe a typical day. What's what's a typical day's work like? I mean, obviously, if the weather is good, it's going to be gorgeous out there. Exactly, yeah. So when the weather's good, it's 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 beautiful and a lot busier, obviously, than when the weather isn't good. So a um, typical day would just be getting up, um, checking out the guests, and then turning over the cottages, giving them a thorough clean, making sure they're all um, up to up to scratch. And obviously with COVID as well, there's extra cleaning cautions put in place. And then from that then, um, you move on into the coffee shop and that's a bit more relaxed. You're not under as, as much of a time pressure with check-ins and things. And you just serve tea coffees to the day visitors. Um, so yeah, when the weather's good, it's a lot busier. But... Are, are there neighbours, Alice? What, what, is there a population of any worth talking about on Alaska Islands? Or will you be your neighbours? Yeah, so your neighbours would be the two donkeys... The rabbits and the hares and the sheep and the bird it, life. Like. There's no, yeah, and the seals. There's a huge seal colony, one of the largest on the island. So there's no actual humans living on the island. No, so was, nobody lives there was, other than the people who rent out the cottages. Exactly. The last the inhabitants visitors. left in January 1954. Yeah, so long time since anybody's actually lived there full time. Crikey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you live there yourself at all? I'd love to. I'd love to be out there, but no, we don't. We live in Dingle, um, so we go back and forth as much as we can. Billy's out there as any opportunity he can get doing maintenance. And uh, we spent a lot of lockdown out there last year doing jobs and things, so that was nice. We have two little boys ourselves, so... Might, might I suggest, Alice, that that's not uh, an accent from the Blasket region? It certainly isn't, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Am I, I hearing shades mind. of down under there? No, actually, I'm from just outside of London myself. So right. I moved to Dingle 16 years ago. Yeah, and right. yeah, this was, what was my the, What was the attraction? <laughs> what made you stay? Was it was it, was it Billy? I grew up here. Really, I was I was very young when I moved over, so I kind of just settled here. Then there was no going back for me. Um, so yeah, met Billy then, and two little boys now, and a different mm-hmm. different direction to what I'm ever imagined that I wouldn't complain all the same not at all well, listen, good luck in finding somebody. I know that uh, if, if, oh, if we let Terry so go, he'd be gone. Oh, <laughs> make sure you come visit anyway. It's, come it's, it's, it well, maybe, maybe if the internet was good, he could edit the program from down there. You there never you know. go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, listen, good, good, good luck with finding. Uh, Thanks good. so much. Good caretakers down there for a beautiful place, an absolutely beautiful place. I was only ever there once, and it is just stunning. Thank you very much. That's Alice Hayes. They're looking for a caretaker for three cottages and a coffee shop on the Great Blasket Island. Now, there'll be no one else there except a few donkeys and maybe a goat or two um, and and anyone that might come over by day and, and buy a tea or a coffee in the coffee shop that, and people who will rent out the cottages for their holidays. Uh, over whatever period of time they rent them. That'll be all you'll be working with. So if you want the quiet life and in a bit of sunshine, if you got a bit of good weather, it would certainly be one of the grandest places in the world to work. Yeah, Fergal is trying to place uh, Alice's accent for me. I thought I heard shades of Antipodean there, but I missed out on it. He's thinking more like Essex or East London, the estuary accent. 
uh, estuary accent, I think they call it. Think John Major, they, right? Good, all right, grand. 1850 Just a couple of things to... Um, to wrap up with uh, thank you to all of you who are sending in birthday greetings to me very nice thank you so much and I share my birthday with someone who's got a big roundy one a big roundy birthday today that's Kay McCarthy in Toker Road uh, love coming from her five children and her nine grandchildren uh, they asked me not to mention what roundy one it is but it is a roundy one um, also to my cousin who I know will probably be li- listening in London today to Evan Evan's got same birthday as me. Up until the 60s, you had people sold by the mother and baby homes, then paid for adoption places like America. In my opinion, it's whoever made the money is responsible and should have to apologise and compensate. If it was the church, it should be them. If it was the government, it should be them. And on services that are open, car washes are open, farmers markets are open. Should they be? If they're entitled, then it's time places like that were shut down. Also, I agree, supermarkets should be made in force. No mask, no entry, unless you have a medical cert. That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thanks to Wayne for sound supervision on the desk. We'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.